Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Did aliens really abduct Betty and Barney Hill on a New Hampshire road 50 years ago? What have we learned, if anything, about UFOs in the ensuing five decades? Has the nature of the UFO phenomenon changed since then? Hello, and welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. This is the 269th edition of our show. I'm Ben, and the fleeting tones you just heard were those of my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. Thank you, Ben. You're a born poet. Thank you. Well, as uh, our previous uh, talk show predecessor uh, earlier today, uh, Joe uh, Ferrier, had said we have to start with some uh, sad news. Uh, I'm very sorry to announce that uh, Bud Hopkins, the very well-known and certainly beloved expert on on alien abductions, passed away yesterday. Uh, He died peacefully at home in New York City uh, in the presence of his family. And any of you who are uh, familiar with the paranormal to the degree of uh, being... uh, into UFOs and alien abductions, know who Bud was, uh, very prominent on television and uh, in the literature of the subject, and uh, uh, very sorry to say that he has uh, has now uh, translated, as we would say on this show, and uh, uh, we wish him the very best and his family uh, as well. Many prayers are with him. So, uh, tonight's guest has had a singularly difficult time appearing on Behind the Paranormal, When she was the scheduled guest on our CBS radio edition last October 17th, there was so much outside interference that people everywhere complained they couldn't hear it, and the subsequent podcast was lost completely. First time that ever happened. It was a famous lost show. The network couldn't explain it. It was Wait, that happened another time, too. We have two lost shows, actually. Really? I thought one was recovered. No. Well, so we're getting more famous by the minute. The network couldn't explain it. And anyway, it was almost as if somebody didn't want us to hear what uh, she had to say. Uh, we had better luck with her appearance on this station on December 15th, and she's back with us this evening to observe a very special occasion. But before we begin, uh, or before we welcome her back at least, um, uh, we must do our uh, weekly paranormal contest. Uh, so last week's question was, in what European city were three saints beheaded in the 3rd century? Uh, then supposedly got up, picked up their heads, and walked to their own graves. And, well, it's not quite that much of a shock, but nobody got the answer. Well, it's not something you hear every day. Oh, yeah, so... Um, well, anyway, the answer was Zurich, Switzerland, and the saints were Felix, Regular, and Exuperantius, now who uh, patron saints of the city. So this week's question, it probably isn't any easier, so <laughs> we regret to inform you now of that. Um... At what British theme park did the owners have to move the quote the uh, storm surge ride earlier this year after workers were frightened by appearances of a headless monk? So if you can handle that, call us locally at 401-766-1240 or from anywhere in the U.S. at 800-449-1240. Uh, if I don't get the if I don't announce the winner during the show and you still think you have a shot, drop a line to me at ben at behindtheparanormal.com. And the winner gets a copy of Captured, the Betty and Barney Hill UFO Experience by tonight's guest. So making her third but only second audible appearance on Behind the Paranormal this evening is Kathleen Marden, niece of Betty and Barney Hill, victims of the first widely publicized UFO abduction case in America. Ms. Marden earned her B.A. in social work at the University of New Hampshire in 1971, then did graduate work in education at the University of Cincinnati and later at UNH. She was a social worker and eventually became a teacher and administrator. 
1990, she became a full-time UFO investigator, researcher, and writer. Ms. Marden taught adult education classes on UFO and abduction history, and after 10 years volunteered as the Mutual UFO Networks, or MUFON's, Director of Field Investigator Training. In 2003, MUFON recognized Ms. Marden's outstanding contribution to the field by dedicating the MUFON Symposium Proceedings to her. Several of her articles have been published in the MUFON Journal. She has written papers on the use and misuse of hypnosis and abduction investigations and many more topics that we'll discuss tonight. Hopefully we'll have time to. Her 2007 book, Captured, uh, which Ben just mentioned, uh, was co-authored with last week's guest on our CBS edition, Stanton T. Friedman, uh, and that is a case study in the abduction of her aunt and uncle. Her latest book, also co-authored with Stan Friedman, is Science Was Wrong, and that is, of course, available. Kathleen will be a featured speaker with the Exeter UFO Festival in Exeter, New Hampshire, on September 3rd, and we look forward to seeing her there because Ben and I will be there too. Her website, www.kathleen-marden.com. Kathleen Marden, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Well, thank you. It's so good to be back, and I'm looking forward to coming up to your neck of the woods in a week or so for the Exeter UFO Festival and then for the 50th anniversary of my aunt and uncle's abduction at the Indian Head Resort on September 23rd and 24th, where there will be a memorial plaque dedication. Well, that, that sounds great. Also, can you, uh, just before we even start our questions, can you uh, just talk a little bit about that memorial? And is, is that in addition to the state highway sign that exists, or, or is, is it the same thing? I'm not clear on that. Yes, it is in addition to uh, the, the state of New Hampshire's historical marker. Oh, okay. See, I had petitioned the state of New Hampshire back several years ago, probably 2007 or 2008, for a memorial marker for, for my aunt and uncle. I thought that it would be an excellent tourist attraction and a way to bring uh, more dollars into the state. And I waited for several, it seemed like several years, and it seemed like a dead issue. So the Indian Head Resort decided to fund its own marker for the hills. Uh, and just this spring, I received notice from the Department of Historical Resources in the state of New Hampshire telling me that they had decided to fund the plaque. Oh, very good. So uh, there will be actually two plaques now, one uh, erected by the state and one by the Indian Head Resort. Outstanding. Hmm, okay, very good. Well then, uh, that being said, Ben, why don't you start with the questions? First, yeah, start the questions. All right. So it's been nearly fifty years since the abduction of your aunt and uncle on the night of uh, September nineteenth or the twentieth um, of nineteen of the year nineteen sixty one. So where were you when this was going on? I was 13 years old and living with my parents, and my aunt phoned my mother on the day she arrived home after having a close encounter with that craft in uh, the northern part of New Hampshire, and I was actually seated in the same room, so I was the second person to hear about my aunt and uncle's UFO experience. And within a couple of days, my family drove the 20 miles or so from our house in Kingston, New Hampshire, to my aunt and uncle's house in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, where I heard the story again from my aunt and my uncle, 
I was able to witness those shiny spots on the trunk of the vehicle that caused a compass needle to spin and spin, but to drop down when the compass was moved away from those spots. And to see some of the physical evidence that my aunt and uncle simply could not explain. Wow. All right, well, did you... Um, okay, well, go ahead, Ben. I, I, I have a lot of questions, but Ben, go ahead. I'm not going to step on your line. Just just give it two more questions, and then you can just say all the questions you want. <laughs> okay. Okay, um, there are several versions of the story, so can you give us the story as you know it? Yes, there are some true versions, and there are some false versions out there. Uh, the, the story is divided into two parts, as far as I'm concerned, and that is the part that Betty and Barney consciously remembered, their autobiographical memories. And then there is the part that they had forgotten about, the part that they had amnesia for. And let me tell you very briefly uh, what they recalled. And all of this is in the early documented information about their case. I have the documents. And I will be showing them at the Exeter UFO Festival to prove that I am correct and am giving you the true version. My aunt and uncle were returning home after a brief vacation to Canada and upstate New York. Uh, there was a hurricane coming up the coast. They wanted to arrive home before it struck Portsmouth. They were driving at night. My uncle worked for the post office anyway on the night shift. He was well-rested and knew that he could make it home okay. They were driving through upstate New Hampshire when my aunt's attention was drawn to a new light in the sky. At first, she thought it was a falling star, only what perplexed her was that it fell upward, unlike a falling star. She watched it, and it stopped beside the moon, and then it started to increase in size as she watched it. This so sparked her curiosity that she asked my uncle to stop the car so that she could get a better look. And their first stop was just south of Twin Mountain. They both got out. They looked at the craft. It was still very small at that point. Betty said it was about a quarter the size of the moon as it passed over the face of the moon. They then drove on to uh, Franconia Notch. They entered the notch, and Betty observed the craft traveling over Cannon Mountain. At the top of the mountain, there, there, well, because there is an aerial tramway that goes to the top, and there yeah, is a that. and a signal tower up there. As it passed over the top, the light blinked out, uh, indicating that there might have been electromagnetic interference. Now, Betty had no knowledge of UFOs at that point. She's never read a book on the topic, nor had my uncle. In fact, he was a confirmed skeptic about the whole topic. Um, so they decided that they wanted to stop again. And just around the other side of that mountain was the old man of the mountain. The important thing about this is his profile from chin to forehead was 48 feet. He fell off the mountain in 2003, mm. but he was there in 1961. And it, the craft stopped beside his profile. Betty and Barney were able to observe that the craft was at least one and a half times the length of the profile. Uh, it appeared to be 
rotating because they could see a row of windows that seemed to blip as, as the, uh, the craft rotated around. They returned to the car. They're driving south. Betty's watching it. It's traveling in a stair-step pattern. It's bouncing back and forth in the sky. And finally, they uh, leave the self-entrance of Franconia Notch at an area called Indian Head. Betty was becoming very excited at that point, and Barney decided to look for a place to pull over for a third look at this craft. But before he could find a spot, the craft shifted ahead and stopped over the highway and just over the passenger side of their vehicle. It then rapidly descended in their direction, stopping between 100 and 200 feet above the car. Barney stepped out. He had his binoculars and he had a gun in his pocket that he had retrieved from the trunk at the first stop because he was afraid of bears in the area. Well, the craft at that point was obviously disc-shaped. It no longer appeared cigar-shaped because they could see not only the windows but the craft itself. Uh, They could see red lights on the side of the craft. And as Barney was watching it, it again moved to an adjacent field, and it moved unlike any craft he had ever seen. It was large, it was silent, it was hovering. Uh, He walked into the field and looked up at the craft through his binoculars and saw 8 to 11 figures staring down at him. Suddenly, all but one moved to a panel on what appeared to be the back of this corridor, and there was a very intense blue-white light shining in that corridor. And he could observe what appeared to be their arms moving upward. In his first report, he said that they appeared to be about the size of a pencil to him through binoculars. He could see that they were wearing black, shiny uniforms, and he stated, quote, they were somehow not human, close quote. As they moved their arms, something started to drop down out of the bottom of the craft, and little fin-like structures appeared to be coming out of the sides of the craft. The entity standing in the window, staring down at him, seemed to hold a special attraction for Barney. Barney wanted to break away. He was terribly frightened by the appearance of this person who was standing at the window and felt that if he didn't get away, that he might be captured like a, quote, bug in a net, close quote. He had difficulty running away. And at this point, he developed a mental block for the facial characteristics of these creatures. He knew only that they were somehow not human. He was able to break away and run back to the car in a hysterical state, telling my aunt that if they had to get out of there or they were going to be captured. He went speeding down U.S. Route 3, and the craft had shifted overhead at that point. He told Betty to roll down her window and look up to see if she could see it above the car. She did and she could not see the lights from the craft, she couldn't see the moon, and she couldn't see the stars. All she could see was blackness, sort of a black void. 
And then she and my uncle heard a series of code-like beeping or buzzing sounds that seemed to strike the trunk of their vehicle. Those sounds caused the vehicle to vibrate and for a tingling sensation to pass through their bodies. They started to become sleepy. They stopped talking to each other. And as if only a moment had passed, they found themselves 30 to 35 miles down the highway, being jolted back into full consciousness by a second series of these beeping or buzzing tones. Hmm. Uh, Bonnie turned, my well, Betty turned to Barney and said, now do you believe in flying saucers? And he said, <laughs> don't be ridiculous. There's no such thing. All they remembered at that time was that somewhere they had encountered a fiery orb in the road silhouetted against some trees and that somewhere they had encountered a roadblock, but they didn't know where or when it occurred. They looked for the craft, but they didn't see it again. They drove on to their home on the seacoast, and when they arrived home, they realized they were a little later than they had anticipated. Two months later, they discovered as they retraced their steps with Robert Homan and C.D. Jackson, two investigators, that they were a full two hours late. Wow. They two hours of lost time during this interim, for which they had no conventional explanation. When they arrived home, there was physical evidence that something had happened. Betty's dress was torn in three locations. A two-inch tear in the top of the zipper. A uh, The dress was torn from waist to hemline, and the hem was torn down on one side. The tops of my uncle's shoes were scraped. He was a meticulous dresser. He had to go out and buy new shoes and use those for yard work after that. Their watches that had worked perfectly fine that night had stopped working and never ran again. And I already told you about the spots on the trunk of the vehicle. Yeah, yeah. Did anyone examine the clothes? <coughs> Excuse me. Did anyone examine the clothes at any point? Yes, years later. Yeah. And you'll read about the scientific uh, examination of Betty's dress in Captured, the Betty and Barney Hill UFO experience. Maybe we should have made the question It has been analyzed easier. in four different uh, chemi- chemical analysis in four different laboratories, and also there has been a seed soil uh, assay growth experiment, okay. uh, all with anomalous results. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on this because we, we've done it in previous shows, uh, but I, I did want to just, for those who hadn't heard the story before, uh, very quickly, if you could tell us about how the uh, hypnotism came about and the revealing of the information that was not conscious uh, occurred. Sure. Uh, my uncle started to suffer from some uh, physiological problems. He developed bleeding ulcers. Uh, he was having difficulty sleeping. He had anxiety uh, over what had happened to him. Uh, he didn't, his symptoms did not recede with traditional medical treatment, so he was referred to a psychiatrist. And uh, in the course of his treatment, uh, the psychiatrist discovered that my uncle uh, was concerned about this experience that he had had and the missing time. And he referred him to renowned psychiatrist, Dr. Benjamin Simon, 
in Boston, Massachusetts. Dr. Simon was in who's who in America. He taught at Harvard and Yale. At one time, he owned his own private hospital. During World War II, he had earned a reputation for himself for his success in treating shell-shocked victims of the war. And, in fact, the movie Let There Be Light was made about his work. Hmm. He, he was awarded a commendation medal for his work by the Army. And he was the perfect person for Betty and Barney to see, uh, but he knew nothing about UFOs and did not believe that they were real. So Betty and Barney started to see him for the first time in December of 1963 for a consultation. They then saw him in January through June of 1964. They were hypnotized separately. He induced amnesia at the end of each session, so they could not share their stories with each other. They couldn't even remember what they had said. And eventually, when the sessions were finished, he did let them recall whatever they could without feeling traumatized by it. Eventually, they listened to their hypnosis tapes together with Dr. Simon. Uh, they recall in eerily similar detail a UFO abduction by these aliens that Barney had observed on the craft. Uh, they were dragged, or not, Barney actually said he was floated onto the craft. Uh, and they were both given physical examinations in separate rooms, and then they were released. Hmm. All right. Ben's got another question. Okay, so can you tell us about the star map? Yes, I can. <laughs> uh, when Betty was on the craft, uh, it was Barney's turn to be examined, and she was left alone in the room with the person she called the leader. And she had begun to trust him because... Uh, he took away some excruciating pain that she experienced during her examination. Uh, she said to him, I know you're not from around here. Where are you from? And he produced a three-dimensional star map. Uh, she later compared this to a hologram. Hmm. And this star map contained uh, dots ranging from the size of a pinpoint to as large as a nickel. And they were connected by solid, heavy lines and dotted lines. Uh, two were connected by five solid lines, the two in the foreground that were the largest. And uh, this was all done. Uh, Dr. Simon had given Betty the suggestion, the post-hypnotic suggestion, that if she could remember this accurately and if it didn't trouble her too much, she would be able to draw it on paper. So she took her memory of that three-dimensional map and put it onto a piece of paper over the next couple of weeks. And it was published in John Fuller's book, The Interrupted Journey, that was published in 1966 and contained information that was on those, some of the hypnosis tapes. Well, um, a brilliant woman from Ohio, Marjorie Fish, who was an amateur astronomer and mensa member and an Ohio school teacher read Fuller's book. She saw the map and she was very skeptical, but she reasoned that if this place actually existed in our galaxy, she might be able to find it. She at first thought that she'd find many matches, but in the end, after several years, 
she was able to find only one match. She started building initially uh, 26 three-dimensional models of Betty's two-dimensional star map. Uh, the great difficulty was that the, the astronomy catalogs were not available to her or to the public. She had to go to the university, and there were, was no photocopying machine. So she had to hand copy all of the data, and then she had to take it home and do the math in order to put every star into its proper location in the galaxy 55 light years out. And finally, in 1972, she was able to find a match when she was able to get her hands on the new Gleesey catalog, and that contained new distance information. And there were stars on there that we did not know about in 1964 when Betty drew that map hmm. or when Marjorie started to do her research. Wow. She finally had a match. Stanton Friedman was called in by uh, Coral Lorenzen, who is the head of the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization, in, uh, in order to find scientists who would vet Marjorie's work. She had done all this work, but she was having difficulty to find anyone who would review it for accuracy. Stan was able to get Alan Hynek, uh, and I think you're all familiar with him oh, yeah. uh, as the Air Force's astronomical consultant, and later the head of CUFOS, uh, David Saunders, who was on the Condon Committee, and also the head of the astronomy department at Ohio State University um, to vet her work. And they found that it was accurate. And Stan was the first one to publish an article on Marjorie's work. Yeah, and Stan will be uh, talking about the star map at the Exeter Festival. Uh, we're going to take a, a commercial break here, and we'll be right back on Behind the Paranormal with... Paul and Ben Eno, forgot our own names, everyone, and with our guest Kathleen Martin here on WON 1240 AM on ONworldwide.com in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. Be right back. Precious Blood Church, 94 Carrington Avenue, Winsocket, Rhode Island, is now planning its annual Harvest Bazaar and Craft Fair. This year's event will be held on Saturday, October 15th from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. and on Sunday, October 16th from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. in the Church Hall, which is handicapped accessible. Craft vendors' registrations are now being accepted. Fees for one space are as follows. One table, $20. Two tables, $30. Three tables, $40. Four tables, $50. Table fees covers both days. For information or registration, call Lucille Shalin at 401-765-3966 or Yvette and Charles Leclerc at 401-766-7340. Registration ends September 23, 2011. You can depend on us. For public service, Owen Radio. Okay, we want to tell you about Amazon Kindle. We have a lot of uh, high gas prices and uh, books. Uh, printing is just terrible. Any publisher will tell you that. And Amazon. Amazon Kindle is one of the new e-book readers. It's an electronic device, <clears throat> kind of like a cell phone in the sense that you can download things, including over 900,000 books. 
and uh, magazines, things of this kind, that are just uh, what, and newspapers uh, that are really, really very economical to have and to read, and you can literally subscribe to books, and you can get the Amazon Kindle at places like Staples for under for one hundred and fourteen dollars uh, minimum, and uh, we have. Uh, more expensive versions that are color and things of this kind. So you want to uh, check out Amazon Kindle. Also, Amazon.com, uh, certainly a great place to get it as well. And uh, you can also get uh, my four of my books on Amazon Kindle, uh, of course, a lot less than the retail price, approximately half, actually. Uh, you can certainly get Faces at the Window, my 1998 book. Footsteps in the Attic, probably my most popular title, published in 2002. And certainly you can get the... Um, uh, Turning Home, God, Ghosts, and Human Destiny, my most recent book published in 06. And uh, also, uh, for those of you who are interested in local history here in Rhode Island, uh, my book written with Glenn Laxton of Channel 12, uh, Rhode Island, a genial history, very popular, used in several school districts in the state, all on Amazon Kindle. So check it out, Amazon.com. And I think that our guest, is our guest back with us? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll get you into the commercial here, Kathleen. Are you, your books available on Amazon Kindle? Uh, yes, some of them are. And I actually have three books out now. In addition to Captured, the Betty and Barney Hill UFO Experience, and Science Was Wrong, there's a new book. It's an anthology, and I have a chapter in that uh, called Alien Abduction, Fact or Fiction. And the, the book is UFOs and Aliens. Is there anybody out there? Well, there you go, folks. Check it out. Check it out on Amazon.Kindle and Amazon.com. It's a great way to read a book. And there's plenty of summer left, plenty of beach time, so check out Amazon Kindle. Okay, Kathleen, uh, let's get back to, we're back here uh, behind the paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 AM, worldwidecom and our guest, Kathleen Martin, niece of Betty and Barney Hill, Certainly, the, probably the most, still to this day, the most famous abduction case in America. Certainly the first to receive massive press attention in the early 1960s. Very unusual situation. Now, uh, Kathleen, uh, we've been talking about the star map that uh, Betty, uh, your aunt, drew from memory. Has anyone ever suggested that this might not have been a star map? It's a funny question, but I just wonder. Well, uh, there were researchers who suggested that it might be a map of planets and not stars, but uh, no one has suggested any alternative explanation to that as far as as I know. Well, I, I might be the first one to do that then because I've seen it, and it reminds me of certain renditions of the multiverse that have come forth in quantum mechanics. Mm-hmm. You know, so just just a possibility. Maybe when we when we see you in uh, if there's time in Exeter, it probably won't be. But we'll when we talk again, we'll talk about it. You know, perhaps in uh, more detail. However, uh, Stan Friedman will be uh, talking about that at the Exeter Festival, September third, Exeter, and we'll, we'll tell you more about that as we go. Uh, now, but just uh, getting back to assuming that it is a star map. Uh, you know, I know that you love the debunkers. We all love the debunkers, okay? Uh, most of whom are armchair theorists who weren't there, but know more than we do who were there about you know in certain matters. I've ran into them umpteen times after some of my better-known ghost cases in days of yore, and now they don't seem to bother an awful lot with this, Ben. Maybe they gave up. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking particularly of the great Carl Sagan in the case of the star map, uh, and we all admired his work, certainly. Now, what do you say to his claim that the star map is meaningless, that it could be any group of stars? I think that he totally misunderstood the star map. Now, uh, 
Carl Sagan misrepresented the Hill case publicly on many occasions. In Parade Magazine, uh, he misrepresented it, although Stanton Friedman had informed him about his mistakes and the facts two months before his article was published. He, uh, so he is one who, it appears, uh, had an agenda, and he misrepresented the Hill case and the star map in his series Cosmos on television. Yeah, yeah I heard him do it. <laughs> yeah. All right, he had well. Betty and Barney driving down the highway during a torrential downpour with the radio on. Mm-hmm. All of that was false. Mm-hmm. But getting back to the star map, he uh, he claimed that uh, it might as well have been any group of random dots and that you could identify any group of random dots and that it was completely meaningless. Yeah. There are many scientists who disagreed with Carl. And I'm sure that Stan is going to do an excellent presentation in Exeter about these arguments because Stan is the specialist on the star map. Mm-hmm. He has been involved for a very long time. Looking forward to hearing him on that. Okay. On that, including Philip Klaas. Okay, well, okay, good, 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 Ben. All right, so the last time you were on the show, you mentioned that there were other witnesses to lights in the sky on, on the road at night. So can you tell us about that? Yes, well, actually, on the night that Betty and Barney were abducted, there was a truck driver who observed a crash. I didn't find out about this until he called my aunt uh, about, I would say, 11 years ago, and I overheard their conversation. He uh, had always been reluctant to report it before. But he called her and told her that he had observed the craft that night. I also have newspaper articles uh, about other people in that section of New Hampshire who had close encounters with UFOs, uh, some hovering over their vehicles in that time frame, but not on that particular night. Hmm. Yeah, because the reason, because I asked that on a previous show, and the reason, of course, being that that Route Three is is uh, still a a major thoroughfare. Uh, Route Ninety Three, the Interstate Highway, hadn't been built yet, and uh, there must have been a lot of people on the road. And sure enough, there have been other reports of people seeing the lights. Uh, go ahead, Ben. Oh. Um, okay. So, how well did you know your aunt and uncle? <laughs> I knew them very, very well. They, we were a very close family. Um, of course, my mother was the first person that my aunt called. Mm-hmm. My aunt was sort of like a second mother to me. When I was born, my parents were renting an apartment that was right next door to the apartment house that Betty and her first husband owned. And Betty had a great deal of involvement in my early childhood uh, upbringing when I, when I lived very close to her and also had a huge impact on my life as I grew older. In a way, she was a second mother to me. I uh, took care of her when she was ill, when she was in hospice care, and in her old age, and I am the trustee of her estate. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, how did Benny and Barney handle all the press coverage? When well, it's... that was very, very difficult at first because... 
the information was released through a violation of confidentiality. Oh. It was always to remain confidential. But, of course, in 1965, starting on October 25th, it appeared in a Boston newspaper and ran for five consecutive days. It wasn't accurate. It was based upon hearsay and uh, from different people that this reporter was able to interview. My family was horrified. Betty and Barney came to my grandparents' house. They lived across the street from me. And we met as a family to try to decide what to do next. Betty and Barney really thought they were going to lose their jobs. And they're standing in the community. My uncle had been appointed by the governor of the state of New Hampshire to serve on the U.S. Civil Rights Commission's State Advisory Committee. Mm-hmm. It campaigned for Lyndon Johnson. We were invited guests at Johnson's inauguration of uh, Betty worked as a social worker for the state. My uncle was the, uh, the, uh, the head of the board of directors for the Rockingham County Community Action Program. They had worked on the state literacy program. They were well-known people, and they were horrified. This was the worst thing that could have happened to them. Gee, yeah. <laughs> Something you couldn't predict. Well, you know, hypnosis was a major part of this case, and hypnosis is still controversial. I've been present during hypnosis sessions in several paranormal cases, uh, one of which was an exorcism. And I, they were going to hypnotize, and I said, it's not a good idea, but what the heck do I know, right? Uh, and uh, I didn't, I've never entirely trusted it. Uh, how was hypnosis used in the Betty and Barney case, and what's your opinion of how it was used? Well, Dr. Simon was highly skilled in the use of deep trance hypnosis. So he took them back to an experiential level. Now, with Barney, he conducted hypnoanalysis. So it wasn't hypnotherapy as we think of it today. It was more, it was similar to psychoanalysis, but it, Dr. Simon was able to break down his defenses and sort of bear open his psyche. Uh, for analysis. So during the hypnosis, Barney uh, would talk about what happened next, but Dr. Simon would always ask, what does that remind you of in your past? He didn't use hypnoanalysis with Betty. It was straight hypnosis. They're hypnotized separately. I think that he did a fantastic job. I don't think anyone could have done a better job without having a very thorough uh, knowledge of alien abduction. Of course, nobody had knowledge of that at that time. Betty and Barney were the first. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that he did a very good job. He could, uh, I think, have been a little more objective. Uh, he attempted over and over again to break down Betty's and Barney's story to try to convince them that there were other explanations for it, that uh, Betty was only reliving some dreams that she had and that Barney had absorbed those dreams. Uh, He could not convince them of that. There were too many differences uh, to convince them of that. But I do think that he did a fine job with Betty and Barney. And incidentally, I've just released a new DVD and it's called Betty and Barney Hill in their own words. And what it is are uh, Betty's statements and Barney's statements under hypnosis to Dr. Simon. Two hours of excerpts. 
The DVD is 132 minutes in length. Uh, I'm doing some narration in it. There's an interview with me and uh, hundreds of uh, visual images okay. of what Eddie and Barney were looking at along their route. All right. I'm going to interrupt you there, uh, Kathleen, because we have a caller. Okay. And uh, we'll put him through here. Push the right button. Oh, oh dear. Hi. Do we, okay. Do, do we. Uh, there? Hi there. Yes, uh, you're on Behind the Paranormal. Hi, yeah, this is Scott from Uxbridge. We've talked a few times in the past. Okay. Yeah, do you have a question and for Kathleen? I do, and I'm not here to debunk anything of what she's saying, but I want to under, I, I, I just want to throw this out, and if anybody else has ever heard this, or she has as well. What I understand, about 10 days to, to a week before the incident happened, it was an episode of The Outer Limits. And and what Betty and Barney describe is what they saw is very, very similar to the aliens that were on that episode of The Outer Limits. And I'm, I'm just throwing this out. Like I said, I'm not trying to debunk, but is it possible they watched the episode and that's how they got the imagery into their subconscious about what they saw? Kathleen? Uh, we lost her. Oh dear! Well, that's unfortunate. Well, let's let's see if we can try to get her back. I was going to ask her uh, exactly uh, so, something similar to that, which is the, the the notion of false memories coming through in hypnosis. You know, um, I, I I've just personally I've never trusted hypnosis. It, it, when I was coming up, it was falling out of favor, so to speak, in uh, the year late to late 70s or so, but that, then it was rehabilitated later in the 80s, and I, I mean, I'm no expert in it, I don't know, I don't use it myself, but of course we're not really UFO investigators either, certainly not abduction cases, so uh, Scott, I don't know what to tell you, do we, uh, do we have... I got her, I think. Oh, you got I Kathleen. back on the Oh, you're back, okay. I don't know, if, uh, did you hear the question? No, I'm Okay, I'll, just very, very briefly, uh, Scott... Uh, is a listener from uh, the local listening area here, and he asked, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, Scott, that, that, that just pointing out, not meaning to debunk anything, but uh, in, in a somewhat singular coincidence, there was an, a, an episode of The Outer Limits. What was it you say, Scott, about a week before that, that was similar to the case? Go ahead. He's, we don't have him anymore. We don't have him anymore either? Okay, boy, we're having... Okay, well, I know what he's talking about. He's talking about The Outer Limits episode, The Bolero Shield, uh, and it it appeared on television 12 days before uh, Barney's episode with Dr. Simon, his appointment with Dr. Simon, where Dr. Simon asked him to describe the physical appearance of the beings that he observed on board the press. And what I can tell you is that uh, Martin Kottmeyer, who wrote the article about this and hypothesized about this, is a debunker, and he... Uh, didn't bother to contact Betty to find out if she and Barney ever even watched that show. The fact is, Betty stated to me and to uh, Carl Flock, another researcher, that she and Barney had never seen that show. And uh, also, I, during my lectures, refute uh, Kottmeyer's hypothesis because there are many, many physical differences between the Bifrost man on that Outer Limits show 
and yeah. Barney's description. Well, certainly, the, as you say, the physical evidence has to be uh, considered as well. As you yes. say, the, you know, the marks on the hood, all, all these these things. And uh, as I mentioned to Scott, and certainly we do encourage people to call in. We get so involved in our conversations, I sometimes forget to give the number. It's uh, locally 401-766-1240 and nationally 800-449-1240 if you'd like to uh, speak with us this evening. We do have about uh, 10 minutes left. So in any case, uh, I was going to ask you about the notion of false memories coming through in hypnosis. Uh, I, as I said, I, we're not UFO investigators. We primarily look at the ghost thing, but it does lead into UFO cases frequently. But we do not use hypnosis, and uh, it, it's hypnosis has enjoyed varying amounts of popularity, varying amounts of credibility over the years of my 41 years investigating the paranormal. But just uh, from your own point of view, uh, what about the notion of False memories supposedly coming through. I mean, yeah, and you know more about hypnosis than we do. So, what what say you on all that? Yes, I'm a certified hypnotherapist. Oh, I have go. studied hypnosis for the past twenty years. In fact, I have an article uh, about it on my website, and I do not think that it is a useful tool when only one person is involved. Uh, of course, people who are curious about what might have happened to them have used it many, many times. I think it is a useful tool for investigation when there is more than one person who might have been abducted because then you can do a comparative analysis of their separate statements mm-hmm. as long as they haven't contaminated each other's information. And Walter Webb did that, the initial investigator of the Hill case, uh, with another case, it's called Encounter at, Bl- at Buff Ledge. Uh, it took place on Lake Champlain in Vermont in 1968. Uh, very important case, too, uh, with very significant correlating detail uh, revealed under hypnosis. So I think that it's good, but certainly uh, it is possible to confabulate under hypnosis And when more details are uh, asked for by the the hypnotist, it is possible that a person is going to confabulate those details because you're very likely to uh, combine fantasy with reality in hypnosis. Particularly (laughs) when you're not... What is reality? Exactly. So, okay, well, very good. Now, if we... I just wanted to... um, well, before we run out of time, I wanted to give you a chance to talk about your website and your books and uh, what you're going to be talking about at the Exeter Festival on September 3rd. Okay. Well, um, my lecture is going to, as I said earlier, uh, focus upon false information that's been disseminated to the public about the Betty and Barney's case. Uh, and I uh, will be quoting some of that information uh disseminated either uh, in television documentaries or broadcasts or uh, in newspaper articles and and books that have been written uh, about the case. And then I'm going to be presenting the actual documented facts. And those are going to be photocopies of the original documents. So you're going to see that I'm not making this up, that I'm not misquoting, that this, these are the documented facts. Uh, so that is what my lecture is going to be about. It's called Betty and Barney Hill, 
setting the record straight. Very good. And uh, we certainly point out again, ExeterUFOFestival.com, be September 3rd, Exeter, New Hampshire. And all the proceeds go to children's charity. So it's, it's a great job. We thought we had a great time there last year. Ben and I uh, thought we might be speaking this year, but uh, there wasn't any, any uh, room for us to do so. But we will have our booth. You'll just look for the... Uh, behind the paranormal banner uh, with the CBS logo and our famous saying, Every, everything you know is wrong. <laughs> You'll be able to meet Ben and me there. And uh, we look forward to seeing everyone there. Okay, uh, so now that that's, uh, that's done, I think we have time for one more question. All right, have you yourself ever in- had a close encounter? Yes, I have. Okay. Uh, and I wrote about that in Captured, the Betty and Barney Hill UFO experience. It's the encounter um, that... I had with my mother, grandmother, my brother, and a family friend on uh, Country Pond in Newton, New Hampshire. I believe it was back in February of 1966, uh, where we had a close encounter with a craft. We watched it for at least a half hour, perhaps longer, as it hovered, as it ascended and descended vertically, as it fell in a falling leaf pattern as it appeared to land on the ice or to hover just above the ice, and it projected some kind of a beam that hit my mother at one point. Huh. So yes, it was pretty significant. Have you ever had other types of paranormal experiences, you know, ghost encounters, what might be called that, or Bigfoot, anything of that kind that might be related to what is generally thought of as other areas of the paranormal? Well, nothing concerning ghosts or Bigfoot or anything like that, but I can tell you that my family started to report uh, orbs in my childhood home, and this was during the period of time when Betty was conducting psychophysics experiments with Robert Homan and C.D. Jackson. Interesting. She was attempting to vector in UFOs, to that area, and actually there was uh, a landing observed on my grandparents' farm that left physical trace evidence at that time, and I write about that in Captured. But I really didn't believe, I thought that, you know, that my family is getting carried away here, I hadn't observed an orb, uh, this is ridiculous. But I can tell you that when uh, I, I was in my early 30s, I was staying with my mother. I had my two young children with me. And I heard my son up in the middle of the night romping around his bedroom. I opened the door and looked in, and there he was running around attempting to bat one of these light orbs. (laughs) I was absolutely shocked because I didn't believe that anything like this existed. It was not a firefly. It was not a reflection from a headlight or anything else. It was an orb bouncing around that room, and he was chasing it. I picked him up and ran from the room with him, slammed the door, and took him into my bed. And that was the last time, first and last time I've ever had that kind of experience. Isn't that amazing? Well, I guess we're just up. Oh, is there another call? I don't know if we're going to have time to get it in. Probably, all right. Well, well we, have, we have about three minutes. Yeah, we've got it for about three minutes. Um, well, let's give it a shot. But in the meantime, we're going to um, uh, thank you, Kathleen for being with us, and we're very much looking forward to seeing you on the 3rd uh, in Exeter, and um, we'll uh, see you there. 
Okay, I'm looking forward to seeing you as well. Okay, we, very good. It was a lot of fun last year, and we we really encourage people to go. Uh, the talks that are given are really terrific, and a lot of interesting things to see and do. And again, again, it all goes to children's charities in that vicinity. Okay, so thank you, Kathy. All right, thank you. So we have a few announcements here. Of course, naturally, we're just to reiterate uh, the uh, Exeter UFO Festival on September 3rd, Exeter, New Hampshire. It's about an hour, hour and a half drive from the Blackstone Valley. Uh, it's a nice day, day trip, and uh, I'm sure the weather will be, will be very nice uh, as well. So I want to tell you to check out BehindTheParanormal.com, our website. Also Kathleen's website, KathleenMarden.com. And also uh, UFO, uh, ExeterUFOFestival.com. You can also subscribe to our newsletter through our Behind the Paranormal site, although that has been suspended for a few weeks because we are involved in changing computer systems and it's very complicated. We haven't upgraded in eight years and we're in Tomorrowland, so we hope to get the newsletter going again as soon as possible. Okay, so uh, podcasts of all our shows are available at our show website, www.behindtheparanormal.com. Okay, and if you want to uh, learn more about us uh, here and, and to learn more, period, I want to let you know that uh, if you are in the Rhode Island vicinity, Ben and I will be teaching a course this fall at the Providence Learning Connection, uh, Using the Paranormal to Change Your Life and Others. It's going to be probably the most unusual course you will ever have taken. And we're going to be getting into multiverse living, and we'll be, talk- we'll be doing a few field trips, things of this kind as well. And we're going to be uh, introducing you to some very interesting uh, concepts. So many thanks to our producer, Steve Bianchi, and we'll see you right here next Monday, August 29th, on WOON 1240 AM and onworldwide.com, when Ben and I will welcome the, quote, numerologist to the stars, Glennis McCants, for our first ever discussion of that subject, numerology. I have no clue what numerology is, but on our CBS Radio (laughs) edition next Sunday, August 28th, we will have Dr. Joy Pugh, uh, that's how you pronounce it, right? Yeah. Okay, just making sure. Uh, for a look at the Antichrist, and that will be live at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 Pacific, on uh, CBS New Sky Radio in Boston, Pittsburgh, Detroit, and Seattle, and online at www.newskyradio.com. And we'll leave you with a word from American author Gloria Naylor, quote, I don't believe that life is supposed to make you feel good or make you feel miserable either. Life is just supposed to make you feel, unquote. Until next time, never give up and keep sailing with us on our great cosmic journey. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.